one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. Before we kick off the show, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that the ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is taking place in Barbados this summer. This, by default, gives all of my fellow cricket fanatics the perfect excuse to go and book a holiday to Barbados in June and experience firsthand the euphoric atmosphere at the Kensington Oval, the cricket mecca of the Caribbean. If the cricket alone isn't enough to tempt you, then let me be the one to remind you that a trip to Barbados can also include leisurely strolls along the breathtaking coastline, mouth-watering flavours of the world-class Bayesian cuisine, and, of course, plenty of rum. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, the best place to be a cricket fan. Hello and welcome to Following On. Just three days to go until the third test match between India and England gets underway and you'll be able to hear it live and exclusively on TalkSport 2. On today's show though, we're bringing you part two of a conversation between the former England bowler Steve Harmison, the Suns cricket correspondent John Etheridge and the former Mail and Sunday cricket correspondent Peter Hayter. If you haven't heard part one of this, then uh, please go and listen to it because this episode won't make much sense unless you do. Uh, the first part of the show was released yesterday um, and uh, you can listen back to it via the free talk sport app. But for now, sit back and listen to the final 20 minutes of stories from tours and years gone by as we go on the road again. I think if I asked you both about memorable tours you've been on, you know, the ones, one or two moments that that stand out throughout your illustrious length of your, the careers that you've had in watching the game of this great game we love? Well, the Ashes of 2010-11 would have to be the highlight. Winning in Australia, I mean, it's such a rare thing. It's the only, the only winning Ashes tour that I've, that I've been on and uh, it might be the only one. A fantastic team to win three test matches, buying innings, scoring huge numbers of runs. I mean, the Addis Cook led the way with more than 700, but all the all the main batters scored bucket loads of runs and... Uh, You'd have to say that's that's the best tour that I've been on. I think to, to, to win uh, in the Aussies' backyard and to you know uh, Ashes tours are you know they're they're, they're challenging, you know, particularly mainly for the players because when you arrive, you just feel the whole country sort of ganging up on you. And uh, you know the, the the journalists, press, the TV, certainly the spectators are particularly one-eyed, and um, you know they they would love nothing more than. You know, beating up the poms and seeing the poms struggle, and so to go over there and win has to be an absolute highlight. And it's such, such a rare thing for England to do. And um, great team, Strauss was captain, uh, and I think you know that, that probably that day in Melbourne, the first day of the Boxing Day Test, bowling out the Aussies for 150 on the first day and finishing the day 150 parity without having lost a single wicket. 
that's the most dominating and satisfying day that I think that I've ever seen England have, and uh, uh, that will take some beating for sure. Reg, you've uh, toured for you know, forever. You see your last one in 2014, but most memorable trips you've been on, and arguably why? You know, is it because they're the best places in the world to tour, or places where you've, you've, you've sort of had, yeah, had a good time? Oh, well, places where I've had a good time, blimey. Uh, <laughs> narrows it down a bit. Not really. <laughs> um, well, I've, I've managed to have a good time somehow everywhere. Caribbean, of course. I mean, you know, how can you not have a good time in Antigua when Miller's Bar was next to the hotel and Miller's Bar was all the player, with all the players drinking um, Carib and uh, rum and, you know, rum based cocktails shall we say i mean that I, that was the most one of the most memorable tours for me was probably the 97 tour of west indies we had a we had a month at the start of the tour in antigua um for, for various reasons and i slept on the beach to my knowledge three times uh possibly four one day i woke up after reporting the match on a saturday I got. I didn't go. Well, I, I sat on a lounger. I recall about eleven o'clock or maybe later, possibly two or three o'clock in the morning, uh, and drifted off. Woke up about six at the sunrise, and then the rest of the day I, I walked down the beach. Somebody bought me a coffee. Then somebody bought me breakfast. Then somebody bought me lunch. Uh, then I had. Then I got in a car with somebody, and I had a, a t-shirt, a pair of shorts, and a pair of boating shoes. I went across the island. We had sunset on at uh, Shirley Heights when uh, I had more rum-based cocktails and somebody passed me something that he, he assured me was a cigarette but turned out to be something else. Uh, I got back to the hotel at God knows what time and I'd spent the whole day without any money in my pocket. Sorry, that was the <laughs> I didn't have a penny on me, uh, but I'd had, I'd had four meals at least. I'd had about 20 beers about 10 rum punches and the rest and, you know, potentially some wacky backy, but don't quote me on that. Uh, and that was it, you know, and I, and none of it, you know, I, and I mean, that was, that was unusually a long day, but it, it wasn't, you know, like, not that it never happened like that again or, or since, but um, any tour of the West Indies was fantastic. That first one, when I was, uh, just finding my feet, doing the job. There was no pressure from the office because they could never get a hold of you. That was the other thing. The great thing about being in Guyana was none of the phones worked. So they couldn't get you. You filed them something into the ether through your laptop Tandy and you wouldn't hear from them for five days. It was fantastic. That's the joy of being a Sunday paper reporter. So uh, anyway, that was great. Australia in Australia when they won the Ashes at my seventh, I think it was my seventh tour. So shutting up all those Australians who'd given me such a hard time for so long was a, was a truly, uh, it was almost a religious experience, frankly. Uh, and I thank the, the Andrew Strauss and the lads and all of you for that. Uh, my t tours of India were great fun. Uh, they were occasionally, dis you know, uh, there was some discomfort there, as you can imagine, for various reasons. But that was an assault on the senses. South Africa was a blast. Cape Town was fantastic. Uh, Pakistan, I loved touring in Pakistan and Karachi and Lahore. And hopefully we can go there again one day. Sri Lanka, always Sri Lanka was great fun. And New Zealand, you know, how can you not love New Zealand? All of it was fantastic. I don't regret a moment of it, except potentially some of those nights out with both of them, which I will regret for the rest of my life. One or two tough places.
John, you know, I can think of a couple that I was on, you know, the going back after the terrorist attack into to India, having armed guards in and Bangladesh and Pakistan. There was some it wasn't all you know, as as uh, as Reg mentioned, rum punches and uh, marijuana. It was there was some serious, serious stuff going on there where AK forty sevens were there to protect protect us. Yeah, we're going back to India after the the uh, terrorist attack in Mumbai. Of course, the the, the, the Taj Hotel in Mumbai, where England was staying, that was that was badly hit, and many people died in that hotel. And there was uh, England flew home, and then sort of decamped to Abu Dhabi. There was a sort of holding camp in Abu Dhabi. It was whether it was whether me or Fred would go back. That was well, a, that right. was your think, line, wasn't it? That was yeah. I'm not sure if it was your line or I can't remember who was who which of the journalists was. It might have been Newman's line. If Harmison and Flintoff don't go, England don't go. And it was like I didn't even spoke to the big fellow whether we're going or not. <laughs> well, I mean, Hugh Mike was around. Wasn't he? There was a lot, of, yeah. a lot of pressure on the players there. Wasn't there was there yeah. the bridge, um, uh, the security guy went over there and assured everyone it was safe because England did go back and. Um, um, you know, the security was, was unbelievable. There was you know, a, you know, an armed cordon of a thousand of armed troops around the hotel in Chennai, and it turned out to be a fantastic test match. England lost the game, but uh, I think Strauss made runs, Collie made runs, yeah. and then then Sachin Tendulkar made made a hundred on the last day. With um, I think Yuvraj Singh made some runs as well. So that was, that was an amazing test match. I mean, Zimbabwe was always good fun. I remember Zimbabwe in um, 96, 97. Uh, there was a kind of golf culture there amongst the rest of the time, and. Uh, to have a, a late night drink and then go and play golf. And Adders was captain, and he, he was having a terrible time of uh, batting. I remember one one of the warm up games. He'd been, he'd been out for you know, three or four low scores, and he about ten minutes after the, the first ball, he was out LBW. Controversial, you know, bad decision. But he, he was he was sort of uh, shuffling off in high in high dudgeon, and just at that very moment, four journalists with golf clubs. Uh, flung over their shoulders, entered the ground. I don't think he was too impressed when um, when he saw us there having played golf and missed his uh, admittedly brief innings. And then, of course, would write in great detail about his dismissal the following day, not having seen it. When you, you, talk about, you talk about the characters, Harvey, but I tell you, Athers, Athers like to drink too, uh, whatever yeah. it tells you now. I, I, I was present at once in a, in a Pelican bar in Trinidad under the upside down Hilton, and I witnessed him. Um, Doing, uh, having a Del Boy moment when he he was head to head with Lara. I think they were holding each other up. They were both very drunk, uh, and they were sort of swaying and you know not out you know not as you'd imagine them to be swaying out of the way of a fastball, but just swaying. And uh, Lara stepped back, and Athos kept going, <laughs> and and ended up front down next to this this table. He was trying to sort of lean on. He missed that as well and planted himself face first in the garden at the Pelican in Trinidad. He also had, of course, the night when he he, he batted for uh, 11 hours or something to save the test match in um, in Johannesburg. He went out for a big one with Beefy, the Cane and Coke Challenge, Cane Rum and Coke Challenge. And by all accounts, he saw Beefy off, yeah. which was, which was a, a reasonable uh, performance. In that, that, was a, that, was a, that was a booty tour. What was the name of that bar, Coach of the Wanderers? Um, Zenon. I'm trying to remember the name. I remember yeah, was Brett, Brett Schultz was a big left-arm bowler for South Africa. He, he, he kept dropping his trousers his, for, some, for some reason that wasn't immediately clear. But um, yeah, 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 he, he, yeah he's, he, he showed more than his bowling average. <laughs> he did, yeah. It was called Zenon. Um, yeah, yeah, just, just yeah, just down the road from the Wanderers' ground, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, 
And what in, in Zimbabwe, uh, the, the the players had a, a briefing and were told, "It is an unsafe country. Don't go yeah. out." All the women of uh, of ill repute, you know, you'll get yourself into trouble. Which which left the sort of you know, the door open for, for the journalists to go out and, and drink their beer and probably talk to their women as well. It was a uh, it was um, it was quite a fun tour that one. That's the bumble bumblewood murdered you on. He flipping murder, and that was that was the the, the test match drawn with scores level in uh, in in Zimbabwe. Yeah, and that, that was uh, bumble. He he was uh, he was particularly tempted. He, and he started shouting at a guy in the crowd. It turned out to be Alistair Campbell, the Zimbabwe's captain's dad, who was a, <laughs> a, a I think he was a headmaster and a, and a, and a local figure of great. Uh, Great standing, yeah. But um, and you you come you come mention Bumble there. You had Duncan Fletcher and some, you know, some different characters as coaches as well. Bumble must have been interesting because you got nothing out of Duncan. Well, you can't imagine any you know, a greater contrast than, than Bumble and, and Duncan Fletcher. And Bumble was all out there. You know, he wore his heart in his sleeve. He just couldn't contain his emotions and his feelings. Whereas Fletcher was absolutely you know, wore, wore the wore the shades. And, you know. You know, he really gave nothing away whatsoever. So, you know, Bumble absolutely passionate, heart in his sleeve, you know, beating his chest, Fletcher the complete opposite. But I think Fletcher was, you know, he was the, he was the sort of start of England's improvement. I think really, you know, yeah. he, he with, with Nasser Hussein as captain, England became a better team, more difficult to beat. They certainly improved their batting against Spill, that sort of stuff. But I think you know, people that came afterwards, particularly Andy Flow. You know, built built on the on the Fletcher legacy. And last, I'll, I'll I'll not keep you too much longer. Trade secrets. I've got to ask you, trade secrets of the the journalist fraternity over the years, forty years. Iggy, you've been in there, John Etheridge, forty years covering the the cricket and so on. But who was always first to the bar? <laughs> first to the bar. Um, good question. I, I think um, you know Peter's. Been known to buy the odd drink every now and again. You know, but being a Sunday man, you know, he's calling the vicar when he works one day a week. You know, and um, um, so he's got plenty of time to, to sort of um, order the drinks and while everyone else is still slaving away on a Tuesday or Wednesday. He's there at the bar. But yeah, I think you know, generally, you know, there are the, the, the odd sort of explosion and incident and, and blow up. But uh, generally, considering we're sort of rivals, we've all got along pretty well over the years. You know, the, the odd occasion when. Uh, Words have been exchanged, or somebody's grabbed somebody else by by, by the throat. But uh, generally, we've gotten along pretty well. So I think, uh, yeah, I think um, I can tell you one or two are a bit tight. But uh, <laughs> that was my next question. But oh, I'll, let Ridge, I'll let Ridge ask this one first. Answer this one first. Well, unfortunately, I I was never aware of anyone being tight because I was I was tight myself before <laughs> uh, before the tight ones stopped buying drinks. No, I mean I was able, I was in a privileged position because I was able to get. To the bar before anyone else, because as as John's pointed out, with rather too much uh, satisfaction, I feel <laughs> I was only working one day a week for twenty five years. That's not exactly true, by the way. Um, but I, I had, you know, I felt it my duty to keep, you know, keep spirits up and keep morale high among the troops. So, uh, by the way, that's the, that is not the only reason why they call me the vicar. I hate <laughs> it, uh, my blameless behaviour on thought everywhere. <laughs> Well, I was going to say who was last in the last two or you know last in the bar. I think that would be a, a more poignant question. Last in the bar. Well, I suppose you. Well, obviously you got to point at Nasser Hussein because he's you know even when he's in the bar, he's uh, he's just he's making he's finding the exit so he can get out quickly. Um, <laughs> uh, who's last in, John? Well, uh, the, well, I mean we're not all complete 
alcoholics, you know, uh, bodies of temples, you know, th- th- there's been known to be a running pub on sir, you know, half seven in the morning, go out for a run and, and, a, and a jog and a trot. So, um, um, but yeah, I think um, bad to name names, really, wouldn't it? Who's, who's, who's a bit tight. But, uh, yeah, there must be, well, there must be what, there must be a, a story, there must be somebody who's missed the start of a test match or, or, or oh. you know, missed a big, big moment in a test match because either of a hungover or slept in or, something like well, that. Well, I mean, there was a, 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 there's a famous cricket writer for the, previously for the Daily Telegraph who uh, once got himself so drunk that he couldn't file a piece. Where were we? We were in Jaipur or someone like that. And he was talking a great piece in the bar about, I think it was about Jagmayan Dalmea, who was running the BCCI and had to be stopped at all costs. And what's what the world come to when this guy's running cricket? And it, and it was marvellous stuff. He was just spurging this stuff out over several tankerays and tonic. And we thought, this is going to be a fantastic piece. I really want to, I want to, want to read this when he's filed it. And it, it turned out that he uh, he didn't file it at all because he, he went back to his room to have a little lie down before he filed it. And, and he fell asleep. And the phone <laughs> rang in his room and it was the desk saying... Um, this piece, it sounds a great piece. Uh, when can we see it? And it was like the deadline was looming. He said, I'm sorry, I am simply not capable of writing a word and put the phone down. <laughs> there have been occasions when copies have been lost. So that, that causes an explosion where you maybe write, write several hundred words. And back, you know, back in the days when perhaps computers were not as reliable as they are now, and you press a button and suddenly you just see this masterpiece of prose disappear from your screen. I, that happened to me once in... Um, Again, in Zimbabwe, actually, and in frustration, I kicked a, a chair in a marquee. I kicked this plastic chair, and he went flying through the air, timed it just the right angle, and he hit Pip. Called David Lloyd, not Bumble, but David Lloyd, he's worked for the Press Association, hit him on the, um, on the forehead and sliced open his forehead. And for the next day, he was like Terry Butcher, sort of swathed in bandages, <laughs> covering from this chair that been, I'd been sent flying, so my copy had disappeared off the screen. Well, it's a dangerous business, you know, but I must also tell you a story about John, actually. He, he put his life in danger one time uh, when on, my, on, the, on the tour of West Indies in 1990 when I was writing columns with Viv Richards. And you'll remember there was a lot of fuss over Viv and um, uh, there was uh, the, the incident with the, uh, with the umpire when he uh, gave someone out, when Viv basically pressured him into doing it. And then there was... Rob Bailey, that's right. And Lloyd Barker was the umpire. That was in Barbados. Then we got to Antigua for the next test match and pressure had built up. And a couple of British uh, writers had wanted to interview uh, Viv and he basically said no. And, and they, they felt that he threatened, uh, they were threatened by him. And anyway, I was writing a column with Viv to appear on the first day of the test match in my room in the Halcyon Cove Hotel. And next door was the room occupied by Ian Todd, who was then the cricket writer. And John had been sent out to help him as a sort of number two and a quotes man and a backup. And as I was writing my column, I was vaguely aware of the presence of someone on my balcony. This was on the first floor. And I looked out and it was John. He'd been got told by Ian Todd to climb from his balcony to my balcony to look in through the window to see what I was writing for Viv Richards. <laughs> but if it's true, that story, which I, I very much doubt, <laughs> it shows that I was a good deal more agile and flexible then than I am now. <laughs> That's certainly true. And it is true, that story. Gentlemen, um, thank you very much. I appreciate not only your time, but your stories and everything goes. Can you know, the, This wonderful game we all love has to have everything. People that bat, people that bowl, people that 
entertain, but also people who about enjoy about writing the game as well. And I appreciate everything you do for the game and what you've done for us in the last the listeners in the last hour and hour and a bit. So, gentlemen, thank you very very much, Reg, John. Appreciate your time. Absolute pleasure. Thanks, Army. You've been listening to part two of a conversation between the former England bowler Steve Harmison, the Suns cricket correspondent John Etheridge and the former Mail on Sunday cricket correspondent Peter Hayter. Uh, a big thanks to all three of them. If you missed any of the show or wish to catch up, you can listen again to the podcast on the following on feed, uh, which is also available on the free TalkSport app. So stay tuned to that as we continue to bring you daily podcasts throughout England's tour of India and the TalkSport team. We'll be back on Wednesday morning for live and exclusive ball-by-ball commentary of the third Test match from Ahmedabad. That will be on air at 8am over on TalkSport 2. Kevin Peterson joining the team. Thanks for listening to Following On. The Following On podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. And this is your gentle reminder that Barbados is the best place to be a cricket fan. With eight matches from the ICC Men's T20 Cricket World Cup Series taking place in Barbados this summer, including the final, you can experience the summer of a lifetime by booking today. Aside from immersing in world-class cricket in the sunshine, Barbados is the dream destination for all travel enthusiasts. It is where adventure meets paradise, the culinary capital of the Caribbean, and better still, the birthplace of rum. If you're keen to unite with cricket fans across the globe for what is set to be an unforgettable summer, then head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 